Persecuted Righteous in the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Back in 2000, my wife and I, we moved from New Jersey. We went all the way out to California so I can start my seminary. I was a second career pastor, worked in the marketplace before I went into ministry. And we sort of made a plan like a lot of young people do when they get married. We haven't even been married a year at that time. We said that we're not going to start a family until uh, we go back to New Jersey. The plan was for me to finish out seminary three years in L.A. and then move back to New Jersey and do ministry there. But we weren't going to try to start a family till then because it takes a village. We didn't have any family back in California. We didn't know anyone. And so we wanted to make sure we had, you know, family support to raise our child. And so a few months into us moving to California, Jenny got pregnant. And it just really happened. I mean, I'm telling you, I know those things don't just kind of happen, but it just happened completely unplanned. We got completely caught off guard. And I'm telling you, what I've learned from this is a lesson that I've learned over the years. Sometimes the greatest movements of God happens when we don't plan it. And that happened. She got pregnant. We didn't know what to do. And for nine months, I saw my wife's body change I saw her trying to adapt to the pain and the suffering that it caused her. I saw her throw up after eating meals. At six months, she started to dilate, and so she had to be on bed rest. She had to take a leave of absence from work. Her her belly just got so big, it looked like she had an alien inside because Christina was such an active baby. She she moved around a lot. There would be times where we'd be sleeping, and she would yell in the middle of the night. I'm like, what's going on? And she just said, she is not stopping. She is kicking me all night long. My wife wears a size five and a half shoe. Her, f- her feet ballooned to an eight and a half. Thank God we lived in Los Angeles because she just bought slippers. She's like, I'll never fit into like a real pair of shoes. She just got a pair of slippers and she did that. And then finally on September 25th, in the evening, we went into the hospital. The pain started. And then on the 26th in the afternoon, Christina was born. The pain that she had to go through, the excruciating pain she had to endure for nine months. And then afterwards, the pain of breastfeeding. She actually says to me, breastfeeding is worse than giving birth. And so the pain, and you got to ask yourself, why would women do it? Why would women sign up for nine months of torture? Why would they do that? Why would they be willing to do it? We have been having a lot of babies being born during this quarantine. (laughs) Today, two of our pastors are home because they have little babies. They've been born the last four weeks. Pastor Doug, beautiful daughter. Pastor Clay, beautiful son. I mean, just babies are being born like crazy in our church, and there are a lot of pregnant women in our church right now. And you got to ask yourself the question, women, why? Why would you put yourself through that kind of torture and suffering? Why would you put your body in that kind of harm's way? It's because of the temporal suffering doesn't compare to the joy and the hope that's created when God brings a child into this world through your belly. That's why. And that's why there are a lot of wives that are willing to do it more than once. Jenny did it three times. And then she wanted to go for four. And I said, no, 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 no. No, you're not going to go for four. I wasn't thinking of her. I was thinking of me. I was like, I haven't slept in 10 years, honey. Another baby would mean I wouldn't sleep for another three, four years at least. But why? It's because of their willingness to suffer temporarily for something that's going to be greater than the suffering that they had to endure. That understanding is going to help you and I to understand this text that we're going to unpack today. Today is the very last beatitude, the eighth beatitude from the beginning of this year. We've looked at these eight beatitudes. 
each week, and today's the last one, and here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This is what we have to wrestle with today. This might be the hardest beatitude for us to live out. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying that you and I are truly blessed. We live a supremely happy life. That's what that word blessed means when we are willing to be persecuted for our righteousness, like a mom, like a woman is willing to go through tremendous suffering for the joy that awaits them when the baby comes. Are you willing to be persecuted today for your faith in God? Are you willing to do that today? Some of you are saying, but I didn't sign up for that. That's not what they told me when they first presented the gospel message. A lot of us, we really believe that the gospel message is about just going to heaven when we die. And maybe that was what was presented to you when you said yes to Jesus Christ. And I'm really sorry, I apologize on behalf of Christian leaders today because my friends, that's maybe 10% of the gospel. Believing in Jesus Christ isn't an insurance package that gets you to heaven when you die. It's much more than that. It's about you experiencing heaven here on earth, but that doesn't happen unless you and I are willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. And so today I'm gonna to answer two questions. The first is this, why? Why do I have to be persecuted today? Why do I have to go through that? That's the first one. Second question I'm gonna answer is this, how do we stay strong in the midst of Christian persecution? How do we stay strong in the midst of being persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ? That's what I wanna talk about today. So let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, thank you for gathering us here together for the very first time in almost a year. Thank you for those that are watching. And Lord, we ask that right now that you would come and you would speak so deeply to us, God. Lord, you love us. You care for us. You care about our joy and our happiness. And 2,000 years ago, you took your disciples to a mountain and you share with them these beatitudes. And God, I'm so happy to say that they did their best to live it out to embody these beatitudes in their life. And so I pray today that as we wrestle with probably the hardest one of all, that you would truly help us, Lord, to take a stand and to commit ourselves to living a life where we would be willing to be persecuted for our faith in you. And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said... Amen. It's so good to hear you say amen. Well, before we get into this, what I want to draw your attention to is verse 3 of chapter 5. It's the very first beatitude and the one that we're looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, 3, here's what it says. Matthew 5, 3, I think it will be up on the screen. Blessed are those who, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first beatitude. We talked about that on the first Sunday of New Year's, okay? And now the text we're wrestling with today, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice some similarities here? That the ending is exactly the same, right? So they have the same effect, but different causes, so you and I will not experience heaven unless we are first recognizing that there needs to be a poverty to our soul. That's the first thing. But the other thing now Jesus is trying to help you and I to, 
to realize is that we're not going to experience heaven unless we're willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. That's a key thing. And please understand that that phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that word theirs is in the present tense in the Greek. What that means is that you and I can experience heaven today, not just when we go to heaven and die and when we go to heaven and be with God. Why would you want to wait till you die and go to heaven to experience what heaven's going to be like when Jesus says you can experience it right here today? That's the challenge. That today you and I can experience heaven here on earth because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says in order for that to happen, you and I have to be willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember again, Jesus is taking his disciples to a mountain and he's teaching them these eight beatitudes. He's teaching them that in order for you and I to be supremely happy because God wants you to be supremely happy. There is so much joy to be found in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he says in order for that to happen, we have to be poor in spirit. We have to be willing to mourn. We have to be meek and merciful. We have to be pure in heart we got to be peacemakers. And when peace fails, we have to be willing to be persecuted for our faith in God. Historically, you need to know that when you look at the first thousand years of the church, the church exploded and grew because Christians were willing to be persecuted for their faith. Church growth in the the first thousand years of church history didn't happen the way it happens today. Today, it's kind of more consumerist mindset, right? They make things look more professional. They get lights, fog, fog smokers come in, and they do all these crazy things. You feel like you're like in a concert. In the first century, you know how the church grew? People were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. Blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. And what happened was is that when people outside the church saw Christians willing to be persecuted for their faith in God, many of them died for their faith in God, they said, there's no way this God or this Jesus is fake. He's absolutely real. And so everyone became, people became Christians. They surrendered their lives to Jesus because, because they saw how many people were willing to die for their faith. And Jesus today is encouraging you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, are we willing today to be persecuted for our faith? Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to put ourselves there? Do you, just, do you just think faith is about God just blessing your life every day as you pray for certain things? Is that as far as your faith in God goes? Is it just as far as you thinking that as long as you believe in Jesus, he's just going to bless your life, you're going to have a nice job, get married, have some kids, live in that nice house with that white picket fence, everything's going to go well, then when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Is that your version of Christianity? Because that's not God's version for your life. He wants that's, That way of life will never lead to you living a life where you're going to be supremely happy. If you want to be supremely happy, you and I have to both make a commitment today and say, God, no matter what, I will be willing to be persecuted for my faith in you. And we have to put ourselves there. It's so hard for us to see this living in a country like what you and I live in today. And so I guess the first question is, why? Why do I have to be persecuted for my faith in Jesus Christ? Because some of you, especially the young ones in here today, you're like, what? I don't, want, I don't want to be persecuted for my faith in Jesus Christ. Why? The first reason why you need to be persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ is because it authenticates our Christian faith. It authenticates your Christian faith. Now, please understand this. Let me just, just rest for this for a moment. You shouldn't want to be persecuted. You shouldn't look to be persecuted. If you do that, it's not normal. 
you're not normal. You should never say, I want to be persecuted, and you shouldn't start looking around where you could go and maybe live in a part of a country where you can be persecuted. That's just not normal. There's something honestly not normal about you. No. But all Jesus is saying is this, if you believe in me, you should expect to be persecuted. That's it. Meaning when it happens, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't start blaming God and saying, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? I didn't sign up for this. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. When you say you're going to follow Jesus Christ, we all signed up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that means that we're willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. When you and I are willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ, when we expect that, it authenticates our Christian faith. Jesus says in 12b, he says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So understand this, Metro. If we are persecuted today because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to a noble succession. A very noble succession. Loyalty leads to persecution. Your loyalty to Jesus Christ leads to persecution. It will happen even in the world in which you and I live in today. But sometimes it's hard for us to realize that, isn't it? Because we live in America. And because we live in this country, none of us are ever faced with a life and death situation for our faith in Jesus Christ. But you guys need to know today that martyrdom is happening more today than it's ever happened in the history of the church. There are some places around the world that if you choose to live there, it is a matter of life and death if you choose to be a Christian. Some countries in the Middle East, like Yemen, I have a missionary friend who is a missionary. He's a missionary director for all the missionaries in the Middle East for the Christian Missionary Alliance. And it's no joke of what they face. That every day their lives are literally in jeopardy because they believe in Jesus Christ. And they're willing to proclaim that and lead others who live in Yemen to Jesus. North Korea. If you're a North Korean and you believe in Jesus Christ, you could be executed for that belief. So what you and I need to wrestle with today, though, it might be so hard because we're Americans, you need to realize that more people today, more Christians are suffering today for their faith in Jesus Christ than they ever have in the history of the church. And so you're not an anomaly. You're just joining the ranks of millions of others who are willing to be persecuted for their faith. When you and I are willing to be persecuted for our faith, it authenticates our Christian faith and it creates a sense of loyalty that you have with God. And when that happens, when you're persecuted for your faith in Jesus, you know what begins to happen? You experience what true intimacy with God is. I don't think you can really know who God really is until you're willing to be persecuted for your faith. You just can't. God just becomes like a Santa Claus that just blesses you with some prayers that you pray. But you'll really know who God is when you're willing to be persecuted for your faith. It's like a mom's relationship with their child. I think we have some amazing fathers in this church. And I've, I'm a father. But when Jenny has had, had three of our children, in that first 18 months, there's nothing I can do to try to compete with the intimacy she had with those babies. Because she had a bond for nine months. She suffered with this child. And when the baby comes out, there is a bond, a special bond that I can't compete with. I've tried. They don't want me. They want her, not me. And guys, don't take it personally because you didn't suffer to have that baby. So don't take it personally. Your wife suffered for that child. 
And that's why she has that intimacy in that first stage of the baby's life. I do believe the role of a father is incredibly important in the life of a child as they get older, especially. But in the beginning, like I would say 18 months, it's mom. When you and I suffer for Jesus Christ, for our faith, there is a deep bond and intimacy that is forged between God and you. But you gotta be willing to go there. You gotta be willing to put yourself in that position. Suffering for God is a true badge of our discipleship. And we all know that Jesus says that a servant is not greater than a master. Right? Jesus says that. And who is our master? It's Jesus. And how did Jesus live his life? He suffered so much even unto the cross. And so if our master suffered like that, how much more do you and I have to suffer like that as well? We are called as Christians, if you really want to be supremely happy and live out this life that God wants you to live, if you want to taste heaven here on earth, we all have to be willing to be persecuted for our faith in Jesus Christ. It authenticates it. That's the first reason why we must expect suffering for our faith. Second reason why we should expect to be persecuted is because it authenticates our righteousness. It authenticates your righteousness. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Listen, if you're not being persecuted today in some way, form, or way, maybe it's because you're not living a righteous life. Because when you and I live in a right, when we live righteously, mark my words, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. You know what's so sad when you think about this? I think the persecution will happen with people who aren't Christians, but I think the majority of the persecution will happen with Christians. Meaning, the people who are going to persecute the most often will be Christians. Because who crucified Jesus? Was it the Romans? No, no, they had the power to do it. But who got them there? It was the believers of God. So sometimes the greatest persecution that you and I have to be ready for are people who believe in Jesus Christ. We have to be ready for that. And you gotta ask yourself the question, if you're not experiencing any type of persecution, maybe we're not living in righteousness. Some of us, unfortunately, are not suffering today because we're silent. You know silence is an action? You know you do act when you're silent? And sometimes we're just afraid. We're afraid that maybe our friends won't accept us. We're afraid that maybe somebody's gonna lambast us on social media. We're afraid that something's going to happen negatively to us, that maybe people will not follow us anymore or want to hang out with us anymore. And so what do we do? We stay silent. We don't want to get on the bad side of our boss because there are plenty of conversations, even deep conversations. Listen, I worked in the marketplace too. People have conversations with you. And there's plenty of opportunities for us not to stay silent, but we do that because we're timid. I get it. I totally get it. But please, after today, may you never be silent anymore. May you be able to share what you believe. May your righteousness shows not just with your words, but with your actions as well. You know what's so sad, though, that I see over the, over the years? So many of us are willing to suffer for our sins. So many of us are willing to sign up for it all the time. Listen, I see on the news at least once a week, once a week, where police officers have to literally raid underground parties happening in this area, where hundreds of young people are downstairs somewhere and they're partying without their masks. They're willing to put themselves in harm's way, committing a sin of maybe infecting somebody where they will eventually maybe die. That we're willing to do something like that for the sake of having some fun. 
It's amazing how so many of us are willing to suffer for our sins. I'm sure quarantine has been so difficult for so many of us. Many of us have entered into some really deep, dark, sinful practices. And this is not about making you feel bad, because that's not what it's about. But I want you to understand, why is it that we're so willing to say yes to suffering for our sins and say no to suffering for our righteousness? It makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense. It's absurd to even think that, that we would say yes to suffering for our sins, but we would say no to suffering for our righteousness. When Jesus says plainly that when you and I are willing to suffer for our righteousness, we will experience supreme happiness, Metro. Why are we willing to get drunk and suffer for that? Get high and get suffer for that? Commit adultery on our spouse and be willing to suffer the consequences for that? Why are we willing to so ably do that? And yet when God says suffer for your righteousness, we say no to. The enemy has allowed us to believe in deep lies about ourselves and about the world and how we see God. And one of the greatest lies that the enemy has spoken to each and every one of us is this. Your life is supposed to be lived so that you can live for the... So that people can applaud you. So that people can love you. And so many of us do that. I really worry about our young people who are so engulfed in their social media that you want to have a portrayal of yourself that's really not you. I worry because we want everyone to love us. And Jesus gives a very strong warning to people like that. Look at what he says to Christians in Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Here's what he says. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Jesus is saying this. He's saying that if you are popular and you are universally popular, what that authenticates is your false prophecy, that you're not a real prophet. You're not a real follower of Jesus Christ. So don't live to please people. Live to please God. Take a stand, Metro. Can we finally take a stand here in 2021? Can we take a stand that is firmly rooted in biblical values, that goes against the grain of not just our world, but against the church? Because the mainline church, the evangelical church today, a lot of it, we have it wrong. Are we willing to take a stand and say we're going to live our lives according to the biblical values? And be careful because as, as the culture shifts, more and more to the right, away from God, what happens naturally is Christians shift that way too. And before you know it, you still think you're a follower of God, but you're still so far away from him because you conform to the world. Just because the world tells you that you should do this or that, I worry about how, I worry and I'm, I praise the young people today because they're so social justice minded. I think it's amazing, but I worry about it as well. Because I see what it's doing, that it's slowly taking us away from our biblical values. And as a result of it, before you know it, we're just going to be followers of God. Well, we want to be praised by people. We want people to applaud the things that we're doing rather than living for God. If you're going to live for righteousness today, mark my words, you will be persecuted by people in the church and people outside the church. 
It's going to hurt, but it's okay. Please, please be happy because God is going to do something special in your life. Those who hunger for righteousness will suffer for the righteousness they crave. I hope you hunger for righteousness. May you be able to experience the suffering that comes along with it. I mean, Black History Month, you cannot go without talking about Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King believed in righteousness and being persecuted for righteousness. He did it for racial righteousness, which I'm just going to tell you right now, racial righteousness is not a secular thing. It's biblical. You cannot talk about the gospel without talking about racial righteousness because Paul does that in the entire chapter of Ephesians too. Pastor Senior talked about this last week. The first 10 verses is about our reconciliation with Jesus. The last 10, 11 through 20, is about our reconciliation with Jews and Gentiles, meaning Paul goes that Jesus has destroyed the walls of hostility so that Jews and Gentiles can be one. Martin Luther King was ahead of his time because people who persecuted him tremendously were the church people. They would write him letters and say, stand down, stand down. Martin Luther King had one of the most powerful people in government as his adversary, J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI. They hated him. They hated him. He hated him. Martin Luther King was willing to be imprisoned, wrote some of the most eloquent letters while he was there. And in the end, you know, he was willing to die for righteousness' sake. Metro, I just want to encourage you that we as a church, when we talk about racial righteousness, we're not talking about that because the world is. If you've been with us for some time, we've been talking about this way before the world started talking about it. Because it's in the Bible. It's about God. That if somebody is to be looked upon discriminatory because of the color of their skin, it is a defamation of the Imago Dei. And if somebody's black or brown or whatever color and they're looked upon as lesser than, then we're supporting a system that destroys what God has created in each and every one of us. We've all been created in the image of God. Amen? Every single one of us. And I stand against, it breaks my heart today to see what's happening to the Asian community, especially the elderly, how they're being targeted by people and being beaten down just because they're Asian. My cousin just came back from Vegas last week. My wife and I are going there in a few weeks just to hang out and celebrate, eat some good food. And she said, be careful. She experienced a lot of racism while she was down there. She said, just be careful. I mean, it's horrible because we live in a world today in 2021 to think that maybe this should be behind us, but it's not. It's more blatant and we're put in harm's way. And so as a church, we have to stand for this because Jesus would stand for it. And we have to be so as well as a church. Listen, I know a lot of us, we, unwin- we never volunteer to suffer for our sins, but we do anyway. My hope today is that you would say, listen, I'm going to suffer for my righteousness and I'm going to volunteer for that because that is the only way I'm going to lead my life and live in some level of joy. Remember the story of the apostles in Acts chapter 5? They were preaching the gospel message and what happened? The Jewish leaders finally arrested them and they put them in prison, and they try to find a reason to keep them in prison a lot longer, and they couldn't figure out what to do. So they said, we've got to let them go. We don't have anything to keep them here, but let's beat them up. Let's flog them, and let's tell them never to speak about Jesus again. So they did that. They beat them down. They flogged them all, 
Peter and the apostles, and they said, don't you ever speak about Jesus Christ. You remember what Peter said? He said this, he goes, listen, we're not gonna listen to you. We don't listen to man, we listen to Jesus Christ. They had to let him go. See, again, they had no reason. And as they were going back home, let's read Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. This is what can happen to you as we are persecuted for our righteousness. It says in verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from, the ho- and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach the message. Jesus is the Messiah. For the apostles, they knew that true, the path to true happiness is for them to be persecuted for their righteousness. They knew what Jesus was teaching them back in Matthew 5. They knew the Beatitudes. And they knew that if they could suffer, they would count it to be a privilege because their Lord suffered even unto death on the cross. And every single one of them were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you know the story of Peter, the apostle, he was crucified, but he said, no, no, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. I'm not worthy to be crucified like that crucify me upside down. And so he was crucified upside down. We're persecuted. We should expect persecution because it authenticates our righteousness. And if we're not being persecuted, we may not be living a righteous life today. Now, how do we remain strong? That's the last question in the midst of persecution. When we live, how do we remain strong in the midst of that persecution? The last thing that I have for you is simply this. This is what Jesus says. You gotta live for heavenly rewards. You have to learn to live for heavenly rewards. Every single one of you, every single one of you watching, you're living for some kind of rewards. We always are living for some level of rewards, right? What rewards are you living with? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't worry when you're suffering for your righteousness because great is your reward. Look what he says in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Not when you die and go to heaven only, you will get a reward there, but you're going to get a reward here on earth. Again, why do you want to wait till you die and go to heaven to see what heaven's going to be like when you can experience heaven here on earth today? Jesus says, when you are being persecuted, hold on. No, great is your reward today and also tomorrow when you go to God and be with him in heaven. But great is your reward. We all know what rewards is like. Every single one of us are living from some level of rewards. You all are. Some of us are living for credit card reward points. We do that all the time. My wife and I, we do that. We figured out a system, and we haven't paid for a hotel in years because we figured out a way to get points, use those points to get free nights at hotels. That's why we go away every quarter and have fun. We have a good time. Just us, no kids. No kids allowed, right? And so we do that. Right? We figured out a way to do that. Some of us knows how to live our lives for those kinds of rewards. Some of us live our life for the rewards of promotions at work. And I get that. You're working so hard to continue to get the reward of being promoted. Some of us live for rewards of the bonus. If you work in the finance field, I know that your bonus is probably three to four to five times more your salary. And so you live for the bonus, the reward of getting that bonus. I get it. It's a lot of money. Can I just park for a moment? I have to say this, because as I've been really studying the scriptures over the last couple of uh, months, some of us are hoping that God will reward us with more money. As I've been reading the Bible, and especially reading the Gospels and looking at Jesus, Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the Bible. 
in the Gospels. This is my opinion. I don't think Jesus blesses you with money. Or nor, let me say it this way. I don't think God wants to give you a blessing that's in the form of money. Because money, there's such a temptation of money destroying you. I mean, think about Judas. For three years, he was discipled by Jesus, being loved by him. And he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Money is corrupt. It's like playing with fire. Now, I do believe that God can give Christians more money, but if he does, it's only for one purpose and one purpose only. Hear me on this, especially if you have money. He wants you to give it away. He wants you to be generous and give it to the things of God, not keep it just for yourself. You've got to be generous, advance his kingdom for it, right? But we know what it's like to live for rewards. All of us know because we're living for it in some ways. My son Christian is working really hard at baseball today, every day, does baseball like six days a week because he wants the reward of doing well in, in the game. My daughter Kayla is studying really hard for her SATs right now, and she's doing that because she wants the reward of getting a good score, a score that she hopes to achieve. So even our kids understand this. Our kids know the rewards that, that they can live by, right? Some of you who are single, you're working out hard in the gym right now in hopes to maybe get a reward of somebody looking at you and say, wow, you look really good. Or maybe better yet, maybe you meet that person that you can eventually marry. Maybe it'll catch the attention of somebody. That's cool. Keep going. Keep going. Maybe you're married and you decide to work out a little bit because you want to maybe get the reward of getting the attention of your wife. Maybe, but in my experience, that never happens. <laughs> when you're married, it just, there's, no, there's no reward of getting a compliment. It just doesn't happen. I don't know why, but just, it just never happens. And from my experience, it just never happens. <laughs> We know what it's like to live for rewards, every single one of you. So that's why Jesus says, get this. When you suffer for your righteousness, hold on. Great is your reward. Great is your reward in heaven, not just when you die and go to heaven, but today. So what is the reward that God gives us today? What is that reward? You know what it is? It's really one thing. I'm sure there are other rewards, but this is the main thing. Because you can't get this reward anywhere else in the world but except from God. You know what that reward is? Peace. It's peace. Do you know Elon Musk would gladly give all of his wealth away for just in order to live his life in peace? You cannot generate peace from this world. People have tried with money, with power, with all different things. Peace doesn't happen unless God is with you. Peace doesn't happen unless you know you're deeply loved by God, that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for you on the cross and resurrect from the dead, and knowing that no matter how much you fail, no matter how much you mess up, that you're still loved by God. That's peace. That's peace. And God wants you to live in that peace. That's the reward that God gives us today. Sunita last week, Pastor Sunita said, Peace defined is perfect welfare. I love that. Perfect welfare. Pastor Shirley at, at, a, at, at Sermon Practice Week, she gave one of the best definitions of peace I've ever heard. She said this. She said, peace is knowing where God is so you can stand firm. That's peace. Because when the crap hits the fan, as long as you know where God is, you can stand firm. That's why it's worth suffering for your righteousness, because you get peace from God. That's why Peter and the apostles were willing to be beaten more and more, be persecuted. 
that continue to go and do their thing because they had this peace that led to joy. Listen, you cannot be supremely happy unless there's peace. Peace is the foundation of being supremely happy. And that's why Peter and the apostles were rejoicing when they were going back home because they were considered worthy to be suffering for Jesus Christ. That's why Paul the apostle, as we did the whole book of Acts, in, in about Acts 16 and on, Paul the apostle was beaten literally to death. Do you guys remember that in Acts 16? He could barely get up. He's limping to his cell. He's in the cell, and what does he do? You think he's just focusing on the pain? No. He has this peace. So it says in the text, he was worshiping God. He wasn't blaming God. Like, is this really what I get for doing your will? He was worshiping God. And you know what else he did? He led other people, the guards, to Jesus Christ. Because he had this peace. And he had this peace he was able to do in prison. You know what he did? He wrote a book on joy called Philippians. We have it all wrong. Many of us, we see faith so backwards. You think happiness comes from God just giving you stuff. Nothing happens like that. Not in God's economy. Happiness happens as you are willing to suffer for your righteousness. God gives you this peace because you know where God is and you can stand firm. And as a result, you and I can be supremely happy. Paul's external circumstances was an utter mess. And yet he still rejoiced. Yet he still wrote the book of Philippians, which is the book of joy, while he was in prison. If you and I want to be supremely happy, if you want to be a disciple today, you have to be willing to be persecuted. And when you are being persecuted, which is authenticating your faith and your righteousness, stay strong because the reward that God is going to give you today in this lifetime here while you're with him in earth is shalom to the point where even though your external circumstances might be a living hell, you're still going to be supremely happy. That's peace. That's what it means to be persecuted for our righteousness. And that's what Jesus says, great is your voice. He says, rejoice, because I'm never more with you. Stand firm. Know where God is and stand firm. When I think about somebody who suffered for her righteousness is my mother. Now my mother, I'm just going to preface this, she is not perfect. She's far from it. We fight a lot sometimes. But this little Korean woman is amazing. My mother uh, was an orphan at the age of eight. Her mother died very young. She didn't even know her mom. Father died when she was eight years old. So then she lived with her grandparents. And at the age of 11, her grandfather was no longer able to work because he, he fell ill. And parents, just think about this if you're watching. My mother was 11 years old. She had to work full-time at a button factory, and she made matches at a match factory to support her grandparents at the age of 11. She was the only source of income. My mother said that uh, food was so tight back in those days, it was just post-Korean War, so Korea was in utter poverty. She said to even have white rice was a luxury back in those days, and so they had a little bit, but the grandfather would never let her eat it simply because it was too expensive. So my mother grew up eating barley. And she said that sometimes her grandmother would come at night while the grandfather was sleeping and she would give her a little bit of white rice because she knew it was a luxury. My mother paid for that rice and she wasn't even able to eat it. She eventually gets older and she meets my father and she decides to marry him, not because she loves him or he loves her. He marries him because he promises to take care of her sick grandfather. 
So my mother said, you're the only one who would do that, because in the Korean culture, when, you, when a woman gets married to a guy, to a man, she leaves her family and goes to the man's family. So my mother was just going to be single her whole life. She wasn't going to leave her grandfather behind. My father was from the north. <laughs> he didn't have any family, so he says, I'll take care of your grandfather like he's mine, grandfather. So that was enough for my mom to say, then I'll marry you. She had no idea the kind of life that she would live with him, because my father came from a very broken background as well. Grandfather eventually died. We eventually immigrated from South Korea in, in uh, 1974 to America. And the life she lived was really sad. She not only was emotionally abused, but she was deeply physically abused by my father. Whenever he would drink, he would get very violent, and she would be the one that would have absorbed much of the violence. Not just my sisters and I, but really it was her. It's one thing to get beaten in private in, your, in the comforts of your own home, but it's another thing to get beaten in front of your friends at a party, because that's what happened to her. Nobody would mess with my father because he was the biggest and strongest guy always when he would enter these parties. And when he was drunk, he was so violent that if a guy tried to stop him, they know what would happen to him. So they would just sit and watch him beat my mom in public. That's how grossly she had to live her life. She said one night the beating got so bad she decided to leave. She said she couldn't do it. Uh, the, the challenge of an immigrant person who doesn't speak the language is that she had no means to take us so she was, when she said she was going to leave, she was going to leave us behind because she had no money to support us. So she said her goal was to then get a job, figure out a way. She had no family in the States, so to figure out a way to get a job and make some money and then come and get us eventually once she was financially stable. So she packed her bags one day because she couldn't do it anymore, and she opened the door to our room. We were all sleeping on the floor, and she looked at us one more time before she was going to exit out and leave us. And she said she couldn't do it because she realized the pain of what she grew up without a mom. And she said she didn't want to leave now, no matter how deep the persecution was for her, that she was going to stay. And she also knew that if she were to leave my father alone with us to his care over us, that we may not be able to survive in that house. And so that night, she made a pact with herself and with God. And the righteousness that she decided to live for was for her children, no matter how difficult it got for her. And she did it so beautifully and really as a hero. Every day of her life, she said the only thing that got her through her life with my dad in the beginning was just prayer. She would pray on her knees that God would give her the strength every day. And um, eventually, my father became a Christian. And things started changing, meaning no more physical violence. Not as much, I would say. Not no more, but not as much. And she felt more safe at home, and we were able to grow up in a home, and she sacrificed everything for us, for the righteousness that God was calling her to, for her children for that day. And when you look at my mom right now, like, I don't think my mom should be normal. I mean, she's pretty normal. My mother, I think, should, if looking at her life, she should be on some medication for some major psychological disorders because of life she's had to live. Really. She's 75 years old now, and I know we were showing some pictures, but you need to know that this woman has supreme happiness in her life. Nothing has really changed much. I mean, the, she still doesn't have money. She lives in senior housing, but she is so happy because she's learned and she's developed this intimacy with God over the darkest seasons of her life. She has such a sense of peace in her heart 
And when she laughs, my kids will tell you, it's deafening. (laughs) Because she laughs, not with her voice, she laughs from the pit of her belly. There is a peace that she has been able to experience here on earth because of the suffering that she was willing to endure for her righteousness, and I am forever grateful for it. My mother says to me, she says she'd gladly do it again, especially if she knew back then if her son was gonna be a pastor one day. She says she had no idea that that would ever happen. She doesn't have much. She has very little still, but she lives her life like she's the richest woman alive. And that's the choice that you have to make today. Do you wanna be rich in the world's eyes or do you wanna be rich in God's eyes? If you want to be rich in God's eyes, you've got to be willing to be persecuted for your righteousness. You've got to say, Lord, I'll do it, whatever it is. Whatever ridicule I experience, whatever suffering I might have to endure, I'll go for it. Because when you do, Jesus says you will be supremely happy. He will clothe you with peace so that you can experience a joy that this world does not understand. For those watching and for everyone here today, today is not about making you feel good. Today is about you making a choice. Will you stand strong? Take a stand for a God who died for you on the cross and say, because you were willing to do that for me, I will now do that for you. How are you going to answer that today? That's your challenge. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment just to process this with God. Could you make that decision today? Don't wait till you get home, because when you get home, you might forget. Will you be willing to suffer persecution for your faith in God, for your righteousness? That means you got to take a stand. you got to take a biblical stand. You can't just continue to live life weaving through your silence. Go to God. He's here. And I'm just going to pray for you before you do that because I want God's spirit to bless you right now. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now in this hotel. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall in every house, every device that's on right now. I pray that you would fall and I pray that you would show yourself strong in our lives. And I pray that all of us, not that we want to, because none of us really want to, but that we would be willing to suffer for our righteousness so that we can experience supreme happiness of living in peace with you. And so God, come right now and speak to my brothers and my sisters. Go to him and I'll close this in prayer. sensing in my spirit right now, some of you don't think you deserve to be a disciple. And if that's you right now, because maybe you feel like you've done some really bad things, that's the enemy speaking to you, not God. Or it might be your inner voice that has over the years trained itself to put you down. That's not God. That's either the enemy or that's you. Lay that at the altar. And Jesus is asking you, will you be willing to suffer persecution for me? Don't worry about the past. 
worry about today and tomorrow. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so God, I pray that you'll be with the people in our church, here in this hotel watching. Lord, help us to be so different from the other Christians around. Help us to live our lives with a willingness to want to suffer for you. So many of us know what it's like to suffer for our sins. May we never say yes to that anymore. May we say yes to suffering for you. And so God, I pray for anyone here today that are struggling with you. I pray that you would be with them. I pray that your spirit would come, minister to them in a way that only you know how to so that they would know that life with Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. And so I don't need the world as long as I have you. God, would you raise up an army here at Metro to be true disciples, to walk in faith, to not just see you as an insurance package or someone that should just bless us from time to time, but that we would see you as our Lord, our Master, our King, our Messiah that we bow down to, we hail as our King, and we serve you as your servant. Help us to live like that and not as spoiled saints. So bless this church. Watch over this community. Bless our staff, our elders. Bless the leaders of this community. Help us to take a stand that's firmly rooted in the Bible. We look for that new day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. If you have your communication card, just click on it, please, and just go. Th- let's go through this together as a community. First, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that and you want to take that step or you've taken that step during our prayer time, just check that off. We will get back to you. We promise you. Second, I'm going to commit to being persecuted for racial righteousness. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's been something you haven't really thought much about or you're sick and tired of because you see it on the news all the time. Folks, this isn't something that's worldly. This is godly, biblical, would you be willing to be persecuted for racial rights? That might mean your family's going to come against you because of this. Whatever it might be, willing to be persecuted for it. Third, I'm going to commit to being persecuted for gender righteousness. That's another one. I didn't talk about that today. We'll have to talk about that one Sunday. But men and women need to be seen equally because they've all been created in the Imago Dei. Amen? And so when women are looked down upon by men, and Christians are the worst of this, we are the sinners of chiefs of sinners in this area, we are, we are literally undervaluing how God created women. And so will you take a stand for gender righteousness? And particularly, I'm speaking to the men here, and maybe the women as well, but that you would do your best in affirming, loving, and supporting women. We have a lot to do and grow in as a church but that you would begin to take those steps. I want to encourage some of you men, it might be good for you to read women authors. It might be good for you to listen to women preachers. Learn how to be a follower of Jesus from the voice of a woman. But even better if you can have a mentor who is a woman. 
Fourth, I will register for a small group today. Uh, it's going to happen, and we're going to stop registration in a couple weeks. So if you have not registered for a small group, please, please do so today. You can do that right now if you want. And then the very last thing, virtual prayer room is open. Now, listen, we're not going to do prayer here live uh, in person in the hotel just because of social distancing. Uh, but if you're watching online, you need prayer today. Our pastors are standing by, and they would love to pray with you and for you.